When your eyes are tired, the world is tired also. When your vision has gone, no part of the world can find you. Time to go into the dark where the night has eyes to recognise its own. There, you can be sure you're not beyond love. The dark will be your womb tonight. The night will give your horizon further than you can see. You must learn one thing. The world was made to be free in. Give up on all other worlds except the one to which you belong. Sometimes it takes darkness and the sweet confinement of your loneliness to learn anything or anyone that does not bring you alive is too small for you. David White. And that, of course, was the lovely voice of... Kirsty Matt. And this is Jim McNeish here. Hello, hello, how are you? I'm doing all right, thank you. How are you? I'm very well. Here I'm we very are still, excited. Still at the Smitty. <laughs> no, we've been here for weeks. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> because we got locked down in the Smitty. We did this by choice. Yes, we've got sleeping bags under the table. Absolutely, and, stuff. And, yeah. it's fi- and they're fine with it. Absolutely. <laughs> they seem comfortably enough. <laughs> and we're just waiting on a coffee coming. Um, and so we are talking. What are we talking about, McNeish? We're going to talk today about citizenship. This is like the flip side of privacy. It's almost like that sense of belonging, of of owing. Um, And I think we could talk about citizenship in its theoretical, political, uh, you know, way of of, uh, thinking about it. But I think that would take a bit longer than 30 minutes. (laughs) Right. Um, I want to talk about why it's been so hard. Hmm. Uh, why why the the rules of lockdown have been rebelled against, why people are taking positions that want to deny science, that um, that want to distrust the government. Why is there this desire to not do the citizenship? Um, it's been a lot about individual rights this last little while, and, and you spoke about it last time we talked. You yeah. said, "I'm wondering if we're becoming a little bit more I than than us." Yeah. And um, and yet we have also seen phenomenal altruistic groups yeah. gather in neighbourhoods and look after people who are vulnerable, and neighbours getting to know each other at a personal level for the first time in years. Mm. And and I'm just really interested in what's the difference? What's the difference between what we're seeing with some people and what we're seeing with others. So is it about separating our sense of citizenship from our need for belonging? I think it is. I think it is. Um, David Steindl-Rass says, love is saying yes to belonging. And he is a a wonderful thinker and a a beautiful writer on, on, on bringing the essence of something to the to the surface um, it's saying yes to belonging but I wonder if a lot of people are confusing that with citizenship like belonging is an incredibly important piece Patricia Churchland wrote a phenomenal book on it basically the fact that we're warm-blooded means that we give birth to altricial young uh, which means that they need nurtured and cared for which means we have an uh, an innate desire to snuggle, to be close, to care, and, and, and those things. And so that belonging is really important. Um, and I think, you know, Leon Fetzinger and uh, Daniel Levy, they'll all talk about these forces of cohesion that bring us together at a, a mammalian level. 
but citizenship I think is different. Citizenship is like is belonging to a country, a movement, a religious or political system, some affiliated group. We uphold its values, we support it with money, effort and time and it in turn gives us identity, it gives us some education, some traditions to see us through some of life's transitions. It protects our individual rights, it provides us with amenities. It's a different setup. It doesn't satisfy our need to belong. And I do wonder if partly why people are rebelling is their right to belong isn't being satisfied by citizenship, but neither should it. Mm. Your right to belong should be with the nine to 16 people in your life that you're intimate with, that you share life with. And I think that as we confuse the two, we become disenchanted by both. And I think that if we draw a distinction between citizenship and belonging, citizenship is is about making the system work round about us and, and, and supporting it. And belonging happens at a much more emotional, visceral, animal level that need to connect. I think if we can start to take care of both in a different way, we'll start to get this right. I have like a multiple question marks above my head right now. And I'm thinking about conversations just with clients recently about they have, you know, what are we part of they're asking? What is, you know, what is the team or the team is disintegrated and you, and I was like, oh, there, there's this need, that fundamental need of belonging. And also, yeah, I can see that, that yes, it was a belonging, but they were getting it mixed up as well with mm-hmm. that whole citizenship piece. And so there's, so, there's, there's a, an element of, of creating those distinctions then. Yeah, so for instance, um, let's take guilt and innocence. Okay. Guilt and innocence. So... Um, Bert Hellinger would say that we navigate our sense of belonging using guilt and innocence as our compass. And so if we're feeling guilty, there's behaviour that we're probably doing that stands as a good chance of being kicked out of our 9 to 16 people. That's where that should belong. There's a lot of people running around with global guilt. There's at least 30 odd things that you could be feeling guilty about that you're not doing as well as you should either around race relations, yeah. or around the environment, yeah. around um, financial equity with yeah. folks, around um, uh, migratory uh, things with individuals and what's happening with kind of the human migration around the world. Um, and people are carrying all that guilt. I think you should definitely choose three or four of those things to be getting after. But your sense of guilt should be, how am I with my intimate group? And your sense of innocence should be with them as well. Okay. Okay. And so would that then link in with shadow? So that intimate group should be the place to express and to work on the shadow. And that's where there's forgiveness, there's grace, my favourite word. There's understanding, there's challenge. And and then you've got that intimate group that loves to walk through that story with you. Beautiful. Yeah. 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 As opposed to in citizenship. A lot of that shadow stuff maybe needs to be a little bit more repressed. 
And you know, I can imagine there's a whole bunch of people now clutching their beads listening to this, advocating repression. It's like, sure, I don't want everything on social media about you. I don't want these confessional chat shows running the show the whole time. I think there is a place for appropriate privacy, as we've spoken before, and and a place to kind of hold your life together. And I think in citizenship, you should obey the laws and the rules, and those come first. Oh, yeah, okay. So, and then empathy in yeah, terms yeah. of so we so we in our in our sort of belonging group or in our intimate group journal journeying you know that that is a great process to do with that group so it's restorative but it could destroy you then at the citizen level right correct so we that's where we create empathy is bad <laughs> i know Kirsty market is bad ladies and gentlemen be repressed and empathy is bad. <laughs> this is the synopsis of episode four of the podcast. Um, but, it is, but it does. It creates factions, war, exclusion. And, you know, Professor Paul Bloom's book about against empathy, he, that fundamentally outlines the dangers. What he's basically saying is that you are... Hi, Hi Adid. How are you? Good, thank you. You're being recorded on our podcast, just oh, so you know. Right. <laughs> I've got the American over there, my darling. Yeah, thank you so much. much. Perfect. Thanks, darling. That You're is welcome. Epic. Enjoy. Thank, thank you very Cheers. much. Cheers now. Cheers. Um, Paul Bloom. His, yeah, Paul Bloom. I love his writing. It's really worth it. You know, I'd advise people listening to have a wee read at it. But what he's saying is this, and it makes really great sense: is you're much more likely to empathise with people most like you. Yeah and therefore you're much more likely to start to form cabals and silos and prejudice and then ultimately war because you're going to if you employ empathy the whole time you're going to be engaging with people who are more like-minded like than you that similar life situations um and this causes institutional racism it's what causes prejudice nobody's you know Nobody's talking about it because we're denying it because it's all in yeah. the shadow. Yeah. But this is one of the main reasons for it is that groups will hold together and it requires a little bit of destructive changing it around. It requires what he would call rational compassion, which is at an organisational level, we've got to start looking at what numbers are represented at the top ends of organisation. We've got to look at how easy it is for a man to be promoted over a woman. We've got to look at it in terms of what is the um, ethnic mix at those top ends. At a rational, numerate level, empathy is not numerate. Empathy is in the moment and it kind of draws you into that and there's real problems with it. Rational compassion, when we're dealing with citizenship, is what needs to be employed so that there's far greater fairness. I wish you could see the smile on his face right now. (laughs) He's like, he is so loving this conversation. And so then we've got then sort of this, we talk a lot about consumption versus contribution. So in the belonging group, in your intimate group, that's where we go to receive. Yeah, so we go for um, empathy, although it's bad. Um, <laughs> care. It's great in the small group. Yeah. Empathy is a wonderful yeah. thing in the small and required. group. We go there for rest, we go there for validation, we go there for belonging. When you go and see the parentals, which is an important visit for you. For Shizzle. Yeah, what is it you're after? 
it's 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 compassion it's connection at, at such a deep level I belong to that you know those giant toddlers <laughs> literally belong to those giant toddlers um, and I have a far deeper connection than I'm ever going to have with anyone else and so there's care there's compassion and also you know it's restorative you can hear me say I need to see my parents it's not oh, I, oh, I need to go and see the parents it's I, I need to go to the mothership yeah and and because I know that I will feel restored after I've thrown them in their summer house with their hot water bottles and I've sat outside because we're not allowed indoors. Um, and that's the thing, my mum's like, oh, but other people have got people in. I said, yeah, but you never brought me up to be other people. Yeah. I was like, so get in your summer house with your hot water bottle. But that's the citizenship piece, is following the rule and do, you know, doing what can be done. Um, and so, yeah, there's, there's something about... So what does it do inside you, Kirsty, when you hear your mum's voice or when you hear Pops' voice? When you, when you do that thing, where, does, where do you hear it differently to how you hear other voices? It's, it's right in the solar plexus. It's in the heart space. It goes directly to the heart space. And, and, and there's also, you know, there's a... There's something vibrational that is felt. Then I get it through the FaceTimes and the phone as well. And mum always knows. Even if I say hello, she will know by the resonance of my voice. What's up? My mum could tell if I wasn't okay just with one look in my eyes. Yeah. She went, your eyes sink a little bit deeper into your head when you're not okay. But when they're right on the surface, she says, I can tell that you're fine. Yeah. I mean, and who would say that but a mum? You know, and to have that awareness of... And there's just that innate knowing. And that comes from, you know, mum has that innate knowing and I know that that is there for me as well. And it's, yeah, there's just something that... I feel plugged in. And that's so much different to the citizenship. Yes. Which is... Here's where we need to be contributory. So you go to plug in yeah. and hit the main line with yeah. your mum and dad and with Billy and with other people yeah. who are deeply intimate in your life and similarly with me, yeah. there's people who are in that space for me. Um, I'd go to Jackie and Chris or I'd catch up with my family or um, friends of mine, uh, Travis and others. Oh, I, just, I, just, I just speak freely. It's like the conversation runs the show rather than you're running a conversation. Yeah, nice. um, but when it's citizenship, I've got a contribution to make. Um, we're, we're trying to build something, create a big idea. You know, there's a bunch of us been talking about what would a new leadership development centre yeah. look like in Scotland. Yeah. Now that has to be contributory. Yeah. If every one of us starts thinking about how much money would we make out of it, nothing is ever going to happen. But if you start thinking about what would it be like for Scotland to be on the map, for existential leadership development. It's like, now we're talking, the big idea being part of something larger. I actually think Nicola Sturgeon's doing a good job. I think Same. she's firm. I think she's, yeah. uh, this isn't a political statement, it's just her as a person, I think she's been a good leader. Yeah. And I think she's bringing a sense of, we're in it together, and we're trying to make this work, and let's keep Scotland a place that's safe, and we can do these things. I think her balance is really good between firmness and, yeah 
doing that bit and so I feel part of what she's trying to achieve and I think it doesn't hurt to have Janie Godley do the voiceover every now and again to actually bring a bit of fun with it you know and it's got that Scottish humour and belonging in it because yeah. Janie Godley really taps into that Glaswegian humour that is amazing um, but I think there's something there that makes me want to contribute to Scotland's efforts to really get to a good place and even though Janie Godley's Humour is, in some instances, outrageously wrong. In parenthesis, I still laugh. Um, she is very much on a citizenship level. Yes. She's still getting the message across. She's on point every time. Every single time. She's not taking the piss out of. She's saying, for the love of God, stay indoors, look after each other, look out. And so there's just that... Or I'll take a run at you and put the toe in my sandal up your arse. <laughs> is one of her favourite lines and so there's real genius in that that she's working in that paradox of really like you know that deep humour and creating that belonging of the Scottish humour and the dialect and the just outrageousness of it and also getting that brilliantly acutely specific message across about what we can do to to be safe. Absolutely and I think this has to become the walk, doesn't it? This has to become the walk, which is something about managing both these agendas, the citizenship and the belonging. Yeah. You know, that depth of thing that you feel with those that you feel you belong to. Yeah. And that making the contribution. And I look at public figures like Gandhi. And <laughs> it's almost like I've got it in for the man. You do. I think I envy his, his thinness. It's probably <laughs> what's going on. And he's really showed it off, didn't he? Um, no, I'm snorting. This is not a good situation. <laughs> but he was a great citizen, a phenomenal citizen. Yes. But the bio, the biographies written by his family say that it wasn't a great home life. It was a tough time. And so he did the citizenship brilliantly, maybe not the belonging quite so much. Maybe Mother Teresa the same thing. She had a great sense of Calcutta and what she did, a phenomenal citizen. Did she look after herself well? If you look at her memoirs or her, her letters that she wrote afterwards, she went through massive crises of faith that she just kept to herself. And there was no sense of place where she could go to be really, really her shadow self. And I think many public figures are the same. Yeah. Um, and then I think you can also sometimes see the flip side, where I've seen church leaders, charity leaders, organisational leaders who are basically feathering their own nests. Mm. So basically, their power is there to get passed to their own families and to their own internal yeah. group. And so what appears to be a, a great citizenship is actually something which is being designed that it's not the best leader who'll take over next, it's somebody from within my group. Yeah. And so there's always been that focus. And um, You'd never see that in politics. <laughs> no. You know, but if it had really happened in politics, we'd be in trouble. Is that like people like employing their exactly. spouses as EAs and stuff like that? That, that would you know? absolutely not happen. And some in of that's that all right. Some of it's all right if you get the balance of it right. As yeah. long as you're doing the citizenship and the belonging, both are valid and both mm. are absolutely needed. And so we did that during COVID, right? So we were outside, not anymore, but we were outside applauding the NHS. We were out there helping our neighbours and, and supporting the food banks and volunteering at food banks, setting them up. And so that satisfied both that citizenship need and also that need to belong. And I think there's a way, if we get smart at this, you talked about it, 
I think that what we're advocating here is, can you commit to belonging to your small group and make that small group a great citizen? Can you satisfy both agendas? So, Mum, you're going to be sat in the shed, ostensibly, <laughs> with a hot water Summer bottle. house, Jim, summer house. <laughs> summer house. <laughs> like you have them in Scotland. And, uh, right. It's like having a house trousers rather than pyjama <laughs> bottoms, isn't it? Um, the eider down rather than the do. <laughs> rather than a the jacket. jacket. <laughs> um, there's a... There's something here that's advocating that says, could you organise your small groups into something that contributes? So, for instance, the church. Church of England estimates that its worth was £12.4 this week to the UK economy in terms of toddler groups, food bank, COVID care. That's a way of both belonging to your particular church or your particular cell group within your church or your particular kind of um, uh, family in it and making the bigger difference. You know, that it feels like this speaks to everything that I've been thinking about, and I think I've been looking at it in an or space rather than an and space. Yeah. And, and, and being really troubled by the fact that it, I, I've kind of felt that we went from we to, and we're coming back to, we went from I to we to I. Whereas an actual, we can be we and I within that. And I can see pockets of what, where that's happening with certain groups that I'm working with that actually we are thinking about how can this make the wider thing better. Mm-hmm. Whilst also saying, holy crap on a cracker. <laughs> that was, <laughs> what a rubbish day I'm having. Uh-huh. And so it's, it's having it. both of those. Yeah. Bo- I used to see this family that yeah. um, used to go and do um, meals for uh, vulnerable people and uh, on Christmas Day kids and mum and dad together and I really really loved that I've always had a bit of a trouble with Christmas Day I think I've got it so idealised that you know I'm I'm not keen on all the commerciality of it and so it causes kind of things in me but I watched this family I think get it really right which was they were still a unit they were still together but as a unit, they were contributing to a larger thing. I think they got it just perfect, which was what I was really envious of, is, was the richness associated with that strong sense of belonging yeah. that is citizen. Yeah. And so I suppose whatever you feel identified with, you know, whatever is your intimate group, can that be organised into citizenship? So, you know, we see it in businesses, don't we, with CSR schemes? You know, and we see it in businesses such as, you know, well, Body Shop, which yeah. we will talk about. Um, Patagonia, fantastic. Uh, ben and Jerry's, chocolate chip and cookie dough. Um, <laughs> Lego, so they will attract the best talent. They will have improved morale. They will have fundamentally better engagement with customers, which fundamentally increases their shareholder performance. So, but they've they've managed to escape the cause-related marketing handle. It's like hi. We do this. They're actually, no, we contribute. And I think it's because they've had a vision of, here's what more it can achieve. Yes. It's not just about the branding. It's actually about the sense of really great belonging. It can give the small teams or groups when they're doing their team builds. So when you did team builds in the body shop, you went off and built an assault course for some um, uh, institution that that could use that. You know, you, you, you did things that were contributory. Um, we ran our events at a, an event centre which was largely run by um, a group of folks who had Down syndrome 
and that's where you would go and do your things so that everything was contributory everything was mixing in and I think it is losing that either-or-ness yes and I think yes. when I think back to citizenship as it was originally intended um, think of like Roman citizenship one of the tenets of it was that he didn't hold on to power too long this is why I think it's problematic when a, a dynasty, a family, keeps kind of passing that on again and again and again. If it's a private business, fine. Yeah. But if it's just basically continually, you know, keeping that focus on that that um, belonging space, I think we can do both, particularly in the public arena. And I think we have to allow for a challenge to the leadership to come in again. People to be allowed to kind of say, I disagree with that. And you'll know yourself that when we're running transformational events there has to be a moment when you allow the group to rebel yeah. and say yeah. I don't like this and you have to go with it yeah. because actually right in that moment you're creating a sense of ownership Absolutely. and it means that the small group intimacy that they have has meaning in the larger group rather than they become detached from it and suddenly you can create a whole sense of citizenship at a large group and real intimacy with their small groups that they're working on and that real sense of belonging. I even had a conversation with a client this week and they're just like, we're going to do this programme and I was like, well, because I want that unravelling to happen before we do the programme because I could hear in some of those conversations, I was like, this is just a tick box exercise if we just go in and do so what's your comms plan how do we get people built in who can i speak to beforehand what kind of conversations can i have with shareholders and they're just like oh now that could be interesting <laughs> that's one word eh? um and so i'm really looking forward to seeing how that unfolds and actually it might not be a program it might be a series of one-to-ones or it might be that that unraveling is exactly what they needed it's that I think you need to be allowed to complain and challenge yes. and unravel. Like I need to be allowed to moan about Scotland <laughs> and its roads and its weather and all those things because I feel really, really connected. Yeah. I'm a citizen. Um, yes. And I, what I'm having to learn a bit as well though is to look at Scotland through a rational lens. So I'm considering moving back towards the Sussex Surrey border, maybe after a, a year's renting or something. And. Um, I know that it will only take about six months or nine months before I start idealising Scotland again. Longing to hear the Scottish news, longing to um, get to the smiddy or all those things. And I'll, I'll romanticise them. And what I've got to do is keep a citizenship mindset that says, the reason I live in Scotland is because it's really easy to live here. I understand its culture, it has a mild climate, it's underpopulated, there's masses of things to do. I've often returned back to Scotland again when actually I felt lonely or I felt I want my family or I want close friends again and actually I've got really close friends in England, yes. I've got really close friends around so I need to just make sure that I'm not confusing the two when I think about where I live next. I can see that in myself in business, you know I was part of, part of another business and I think I probably... I didn't feel I belonged there and I think I went into it for belonging I went into yeah, it yeah. to be part of something to be part of a team to have people around me which fundamentally is I was aching for the belonging and I didn't you know and so I, I got I confused myself um, in that I worked and it was about citizenship it was and it, it just it didn't work but it's because I entered into it with a different lens yes I see that. I think we've done it in our friendship. Because mm -hmm. we've explored 
actually having a business together yeah. and actually you being part of Quake at one point and yeah. maybe coming in and doing yeah. something there and it didn't work. It didn't yeah. work from the different projects that you were involved in and the various kind of areas you speak in but I think we really divorced that conversation from the one of belonging yeah. which is the friendship yes. which is some other thing shows up and we'll do something else down the line again or there'll be another project here yeah. or we've done co-coaching before. Yeah. Um, I think we've successfully yes. navigated that yeah. distinction and I don't think I navigated it that well with Quake. So when I set up Quake, I set it up to belong. Mm. I wanted something that had fire pits and Celtic music and um, was a little bit like Rivendale in Lord of the Rings and and we did all that and then there was suddenly there was employment and there was business and contracts and consultancy and and it wasn't a sense of belonging but that's because I had it in the wrong place it should have been citizenship yeah. it should have been belonging to that space in the same way that I, have, that I feel I'm a citizen of heaven that I'm a citizen of Scotland and I, it should have been citizenship and, yes. and, and, and therefore I wasn't getting the feedback loops at the belonging level and I wonder if some of that's how it fell away and that's how I need to think differently if I ever do anything like that again. And you, you see that because is that you still on the back of it, I see you for this, for, for us all, there's always a, a group of people which links into that sort of privacy thing that are always still around. Yes. So even though Quake is no longer that still is. There's still Ruth and Mark, there's yeah. still James, yeah. there's yeah. still you and connecting in, there's you, there's, yeah, yeah. You know, so, and it is recognising that, you know, I, I used to struggle with, oh, well, I'm no longer useful now. And so now... I get pushed aside. Yeah. And whereas recognising that, and I suppose it is that phase, people are there for a reason, a season and a lifetime. Um, and I really, oh, that it brought such heartache to me of people that were in my life for so long. Maybe even the long was just a small amount of time, but with such depth. And then all of a sudden, nothing. But I was getting these things mixed up. The House of Belonging. I awoke this morning in the gold light, turning this way and that thinking for a moment it was one day like any other. But the veil had gone from my darkened heart and I thought it must have been the quiet candlelight that filled my room. It must have been the first easy rhythm with which I breathed myself to sleep. It must have been the prayer I said speaking to the otherness of the night. And I thought this is the good day. You could meet your love. This is the black day. Someone close to you could die. This is the day you realise how easily the thread is broken between this world and the next. And I found myself sitting up in the quiet pathway of light, the tawny, close-grained cedar burning round me like fire and all the angels of this housely heaven ascending through the first roof of light the sun had made. This is the bright home in which I live. This is where I ask my friends to come. This is where I want to love all the things that has taken me so long to learn to love. This is the temple of my adult aloneness and I belong to that aloneness as I belong to my life. There is no house like the house of belonging. David White. <laughs>